Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, continues his series entitled, The Message and the Movement, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today's message is titled, Jesus, Love, and Revenge. Well, good morning. Well, we've got uh, our women up at the, well, not all our women, a lot of you are women, but uh, we got our, uh, some of our women up at the, uh, the uh, women's retreat. I hear it's going really well. I've got uh, some tidbits coming back and uh, so excited for that. In fact, I'd like to uh, just lead us in prayer real quick for them this morning as they kind of wrap that up. Would you join me? Father, we just pray for, uh, for these ladies that are up there at the women's retreat. God, we just uh, thank you for what you're doing, and, and we know these chances in our life where we get away and how it gives you an opportunity to get at us. And so we pray that you would just meet with them powerfully today as they, they have their final session this morning, a culmination of a whole weekend of seeking after you, and just pray that you would meet them in a powerful way, and they would know that you were there with them, and they've been touched by you, and we pray this in your name, amen. Well, uh, uh, good morning, kind of overcast day, isn't it? And uh, I like it, yesterday was really hot. Um, my name is Pastor Mike. If this is your very first time here, I know every week we have first-timers, um, I want to welcome you to, uh, to this church, and uh, inside of your bulletin is a message note sheet, and so we're in the midst of a series right now called The Message and the Movement. It's a, it was a, it's a series on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, which is the most famous sermon ever given in the history of the world. I know a lot of you are really new at this, and so if you have a Bible, it's in Matthew chapter 5, and so you want to turn there, get that sheet out, and then you'll be able to follow along as we, we go through this. Uh, you ready to go today? Yeah. Ready to go? Go to, the, go to the Word, go to the Lord. That's exciting, right? Whatever week we come from, whatever your week's been like, that God's here to meet us, and it's amazing how He'll take one message and He'll just divide it up according to our need. Isn't that amazing how He does that? And, um, and how it's just one message that you all will hear different things from it because God's going to be here. He's going to take exactly what you need to hear. And he's going to talk to you about it. And it's awesome. He, he does that. I talked to a guy last night after the service. And he was saying, man, I've been coming for two months and my life's been a wreck and it's coming together. And every week I just feel like you're talking to me. And I said, I love hearing that because it's really not about me. It's, when that happens, it's really God, the Holy Spirit, is really taking his word, and he's applying it to your life. And that's what we want to have happen. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this chance to be together. Lord, this beautiful place, beautiful day, a little overcast, but just loving the cool. And God, we, uh, we come as your people, and we come in your name. And we come because we want to hear from you. And even, Lord, as we prayed for the, our women who are up at the women's retreat now, we pray for, for us here that you would speak to us in that same way, according to our need, regardless of what our week is. God, we're excited to be here. We're excited to be in your word. And we pray that you'd come and meet us now in your name. Amen. Well, the early church in Jerusalem was an exciting place to be. Those early years were amazing. I mean, people were coming to Christ left and right. Miracles were happening. It was just an exciting place. But it wasn't all fun and games. Uh, at times, there was uh, conflict. And some of that conflict, because you, you had a lot of people come from different backgrounds in one place, which is what you call church, right? <laughs> and so oftentimes we think of the, the, the early church, you know, and we, we think of, hey, they got uh, Jews and Gentiles, but in that early church in Jerusalem, it was only Jewish people. And yet they weren't all the same. Um, there were particular, two particular uh, groups of, of Jewish people. Uh, one, one group was uh, a more, uh, kind of a more traditional group. They were... Uh, they were a group that had grown up in Israel, either in Jerusalem or Israel. They had grown up, they spoke Hebrew as their mother tongue, the Aramaic, Aramaic was their mother tongue. And they, they, they were uh, kind of carried out the traditions of Israel. They're more conservative. We call them the Hebraic Jews, the Hebrew Jews. Uh, the other group of, of uh, Christians in the early church, also Jews, they were a more liberal group. Um, these were, were men and women who were not born in Israel, they're not raised in Jerusalem. They'd been raised somewhere else. They'd been raised in the midst of a more pagan culture, the Greek culture. They'd not grown up speaking Hebrew. They'd grown up speaking Greek. And so they had just a whole different background. And so you have a more conservative group, more liberal group. When you bring them together, you can imagine from time to time this would lead to conflict, right? Just kind of different worldviews coming together. And, and it didn't take long before conflict arose in the early church, as amazing as it was what God was doing. And, and the flashpoint was an issue over welfare, 
See, in the early church, they had a program, and it was for widows who didn't have anyone else to support them. If you were a widow in the early church and you have no support, they would provide you food. There was a food distribution program. And one day, the more liberal Greek-speaking Jews came to the apostles and said, hey, we got a problem here. Our women are being overlooked. Our, our widows are being overlooked in this distribution. There's discrimination going on. And so the apostles went to the church and said, what do you think we should do about this? And they all came up with this plan. They were going to appoint seven guys, seven guys who are, are wise, who are full of the Holy Spirit, and they're going to be leaders of this food distribution program. Well, one of the guys that emerged as a leader of that group was the hero of our story today. His name was Stephen, and uh, he was an amazing guy. He'd come to Christ like everyone else in the early church only two or three years earlier. And yet God had just uh, got a really touch to his life. You ever met Christians that when they come to Christ, they just get a good dose? You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and he had just got a good dose. And, and so he, he comes to, to Jesus. His life has turned around. And uh, he's just, God's spirit is all over this guy. And so he has amazing spiritual gifts of wisdom. He's got gifts of uh, teaching. He's got gifts of preaching. Um, he's got gifts of debating. Um, he has gifts of uh, even doing miracles. And so God's really using him in an incredible way in Jerusalem. He's out there witnessing for Christ to Jews who have not come to Jesus. But, of course, not everyone's real excited about this, right? And uh, some of the same Jewish leaders that just a few years before had arrested Jesus and prosecuted him, they arrest our, our guy today. And they, they, they bring him up on trumped-up charges. They bring him into court. And you kind of see the courtroom there. When it comes time for him to, to, uh, to, to defend himself, He's, been, uh, he's brought up on charges of blasphemy, just like Jesus. Uh, he's been brought up on charges of speaking against the temple, speaking against the law of Moses. So he's on the witness stand, and you think he might at this point just take the fifth, right? <laughs> I just take the fifth. <laughs> but no, he goes right at him. He's just right at him. He does not pull any punches. He comes on full, 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 uh, full bore. He just lets them know, you guys have been rejecting God your whole history as a nation, and uh, you're doing it again. You made the biggest mistake of all. God sent the Messiah. You killed him. You guys are in deep trouble. And at this point, they just lose it. This distinguished panel of judges, this high court, the Sanhedrin goes crazy. And they just lose it. And they rush the stage. They rush the, the platform. And they take Stephen and they drag him outside the court. He never gets his fair trial. and uh, verdict is never in. They just rush him. They take him out. They pull him outside the, the temple courts. They, they pull him through the city streets. And you can kind of picture this Jerusalem, this huge city. They're pulling him through the city streets. They're like crazy, man. They're, like, they're full of rage. They're furious. The crowd, you can see the crowd coming, right? What's going on here in the crowd? This mob is forming. And now they're going through the city streets and they're dragging him here and dragging him here. He looks like a rag doll. They get out. They get outside the city wall. They take him outside the city wall and there it happens. Today we're continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount. We come to a new topic, a couple new topics. Topic is love, topic is revenge. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we're in this subsection of the series on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about what does it look like to live life the right way. He's told us that he's come to teach us how to live life the right way, that it doesn't look like the spiritual leaders of his day. They're religious people. He's not called us to be religious people, right? He's called us to be real people. And he's called to change us from the inside out. And he said that if we will follow him, that he will supernaturally change us. He'll teach us how to live life a whole new way. He gives us six examples in this subsection of the Sermon Now, What does it look like to live life the right way? We've covered four, right? We've talked about anger. We've talked about sexuality, we've talked about marriage, we talked about integrity. Today we come to his final two examples. It's love and, and, and revenge, and love of a particular kind, especially love for our enemies. And so if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is going to give us four examples today, kind of uh, extreme examples And we've come to expect this from Jesus, right? All through the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen that he loves to use these extreme examples, kind of the shock rabbi, to like, wow, what are you saying? And while, while we're like, what was that? Did he really say that? And while we're, we're like, whoa, what, you know, where is he coming from? Then he, it, he kind of slips in a very important truth. So we're going to be looking at uh, 10 verses today. We're moving at warp speed. Uh, chapter 5 and verse 38, and we're going to move through 48, all right? So here we go. So he says, you've heard it said. Now, you remember, for every one of these six examples, he always uh, says, here's what you've been taught in the past. This is what you've heard it said. Here's what, what I say. He says, you've heard it said, 
um, in the past, love your, uh, no, verse 38. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Now, how many have ever heard of that? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This is common. Even if you're not a Christian or whatever, we, we were, we're familiar with this. This is how most people do relationships, right? You scratch my back, I scratch your back. You poke my eye out, poke your eye out, right? It's the American way. Now, this was actually never designed to be um, a way to do life in terms of our personal relationships. This was the, law, the basis of the law code in the Old Testament. Three times, it's told, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This was a, a prescription for judges in Israel, all right? So when you came to court, and uh, let's say that I had burned, I got ticked off at you, and I set your field on fire, and I burned it down. And you come, and I, so we go before the judge, and the judge has to decide what is a fair thing. The basis of the judicial system in Israel was eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. In other words, fairness, where you want a fair response. So I burn down your field. The judge says, burn down my, uh, we'll burn down my field. Now, I want you to catch this. It not only was a, uh, a basis of fairness, right? It's also a, a limitation of retribution. We often miss this when we hear the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We think, wow, wow, it's like retribution. Remember, it's a limitation. Because typically, if you burn down my field, what do I want to do? I want to burn down your field, burn down your house, kill your family, right? <laughs> eye for an eye. <laughs> and so, so eye for an eye says, no, you can't burn down the, you can burn down the field, you can't burn down the house, kill his family, you see? And so it set a limit. And so this was a law that was designed for ancient Israel and their law courts to help them uh, promote fairness and to limit retribution. Now, it was never designed in Israel to be a, a kind of a God's way of how we do our personal relationships. It was never designed that way. It was a law court thing. And so, for example, there in your note sheet, I put a verse from the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19, where um, Moses spells out and kind of really clearly uh, this whole thing about um, uh, retribution. There it is, Leviticus 19.18. It says, do not seek what? Revenge, okay? So very clearly in the Old Testament, it says don't seek revenge. That's not the way to do life. And don't bear a grudge against any of your people, okay? But love your neighbor as yourself. So this was the law of relationships in the Old Testament. No revenge, no grudges, love your neighbor as yourself. But in Jesus' day, what the religious leaders were teaching was this eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. They were saying that, hey, uh, this is the way to do relationships. Eye for an eye. If someone uh, hurts you, you hurt them back. That's fine with God. In fact, that's what he wants. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so Jesus comes along and says, time out. No, you got it all wrong. He says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Verse 39, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, we'll come back to this later. But basically what he's saying, hey, is when someone does you wrong, don't respond to them in kind. It's, it's don't re, uh, retaliate. And now he's going to give us these four uh, kind of extreme examples that um, you've probably heard, some, you've probably heard of some of these before. He says, for, so if, for example, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, then turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you, they take you to court, they want your tunic, kind of your undergarments, then let him have your cloak, your outer coat as well. Uh, 41, if someone forces you to go one mile, now in the ancient world, Roman soldiers could require this of you. They could kind of draft you on the spot to carry their baggage for a certain length, a uh, certain uh, mileage. He says, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles and give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow. So here's, I want you to catch the big picture. Big picture is, Jesus says, I don't want you to retaliate. I don't want you to treat people like they treat you. In fact, there's going to be times in your life, in order to love people well, we have to bear the pain, right? We have to bear what is wrong. Now, did, Jesus did this, right? This is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He took our pain upon him. He bore our pain to turn us from enemies into friends. And so as his followers, what he's saying is that I don't want you to treat people like they treat you. I want you to always love people. And sometimes that's going to mean bearing their pain, bearing their evil, right? Okay, um, now uh, you say, well, how do you know he doesn't always mean this literally? Well, because we have example, a lot of examples from the New Testament that show that he's just kind of giving this big picture. Here's, here's kind of extreme statements. But let me give you a couple examples. Um, the Apostle Paul. 
he becomes a Christian, and he starts preaching throughout the Roman Empire, right? And as he's doing that, you, you may remember that he was often arrested by the Romans, and they would be about to whip him, or they would be about to k- turn him over to his enemies. And you remember what he does. He does not say, oh, Jesus said, don't resist the evil person. Go ahead, whip me, make my day, right? What he says is, hey, wait a second, time out. I'm a Roman citizen. Do you really want to whip a Roman citizen without a trial? And they'd say, whoa, no, we don't want to. And so he would use his legal rights, right? So he wouldn't, so Jesus is not saying that every situation we always, you know, we always just let people take advantage or whatever. He's not saying that. He's saying we need to learn how to love people, and at times that will mean even going the second mile. At times that will mean show, uh, receiving their abuse and bearing their abuse, okay? Another example, you know, the last one, he said, if someone asks you for money, give it to them, right? That was his example. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, hey, in your church, there's going to be times when people are out of work. There's going to be times when people need financial help. But he says, if someone comes and asks you for money, but they're not willing to work, they're not willing to look for a job, he says, don't give it to them. Because if a person's not willing to work, they shouldn't eat, right? So we have numerous examples from the New Testament that show that Jesus, as early church understood this, they didn't understand this is a carte blanche, always the way, but you get the basic idea, all right? We'll come back to that more later. Now, in verse 43, he goes on to his sixth and final example. He says, you've heard it said in the past, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the Bible never said this. The Bible says love your neighbor, right? We just saw that. It never says, quote, hate your enemy. But the spiritual leaders of their day, they kind of added this on. And basically, the the thinking was, um, okay, the Bible says love your enemies. I mean, um, the Bible says love your neighbor. Um, By implication, you shouldn't love your non-neighbors. And so if someone's not being very neighborly to you, then you should hate them. And so uh, Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 time out. That's not right. He says, uh, here's what I tell you, verse 44. I want you to love your enemies. And as we talk about love today, let's define it this way, right? Love is seeking someone's highest good. That's what love is. Love is seeking someone's highest good. It's, it's not just so much about feelings. Not that feelings aren't important. But love is a decision that we make to seek someone's highest. What's your best interest in this situation? What's the right thing to do for your life? Okay, so he says, um, Uh, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, why? Here's the reason why. That you may become sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Uh, God doesn't uh, every day decide like, oh, you know, this guy's not walking with me. Darkness for his house today. Uh, God loves people and and he blesses people. And this whole planet is in rebellion against God, and yet he continues to love it with the basic necessities of life, right? Without the sun, we would be gone in an instant. If the sun was any closer, the earth would be burned up. If the sun was any farther away, we would freeze to death. We live in a a universe that is, is just perfectly balanced for us. And God has given that. God gives his gift of life to every man and every woman and every child in this uni- in, in, on planet earth. And regardless of whether we walk with God or spit in God's face, this is who God is. He's a God who loves his, his creation, right? Regardless of how we respond. And so he says, uh, uh, God wants us to grow up and be like him. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And he says, if you love those who, only, who love you, and this is the way we, uh, most people do love, just love those who love you, he says, what reward will you get? Big deal. Are not even the tax collectors, the lowest of the low, the scumbags of the world. He says, even the mafia loves themselves, right? So he says, um, you know, big deal. And he says, and if you greet your, only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Uh, do not even the pagans do that. People who don't even know God are like friendly to their friends, you know, big deal. And then he says, now here's what I want you to do. And this kind of wraps up this whole section here in the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, remember, catch the big picture. Back in 520, he said, your righteousness, if you're going to follow me, it needs to be greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, right? And then he says, let me explain. What does that look like to live life the right way? 
He's given us six examples, and then he ends it with a statement, here's the, here's the model, here's the goal, is to be like your father. He says, I want you to grow up and be like your father in heaven. See, that's the journey that we're all on. And he says, I want you to be perfect like your heavenly father's perfect. Now, are we ever going to get perfect? Of course not. But that's the goal. That's the standard. You know, you, like the, we, he might say, you'll never be able to live up to your dad, but, make, but try. You know, it's like this is, this is who we're trying to be like, okay? So that's the passage. Now, here's what I want to do. In the time we have today, I want to take some time and unpack two major principles, one about love, one about revenge, all right? And uh, so there in your note sheet, you have a section. I think it's called like Love and Revenge 101, something like that. Two key principles. And so we're just going to dive in. We're going to talk about these two issues in our life. Today, they're so important, how we, how we love or how we deal with revenge. Let's jump in. Number one, the first principle goes like this, that love is always right. It's always the right thing to do. Love is always right. And the law of love is the law of relationships. Love is always right. The law of love is the law of relationships. Um. We come today, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, we come to the pinnacle, to the high spot, to the mountaintop of the Sermon on the Mount, and also the teaching of Jesus. We've been asking the question, what does it look like to live the right way, right? We said, well, here, okay, let's talk about our anger in, in our lives. How do we deal with our anger? What does it look like to be a Jesus follower in the area of anger, right? We've talked about that. And we said, okay, what about our sex lives? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in their sex life? We unpack that. We okay, talked about, okay, what does it look like in our marriages? Last week we talked, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in the area of integrity? But today we come to the Holy of Holies. Today we come to the foundation of the whole teaching of Jesus. If you, if you break down the teaching of Jesus, say, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? It becomes very simple. He says, what it looks like to live life the right way is in every situation, in your marriage, as a parent, uh, as a single adult, uh, as a high school, as a college student, on the job, and school, doesn't matter where you are, what the situation, as a follower of Jesus, here's the ethic, here's the calling, it's to love people, okay? This is like the holy of holies. This is, you break it all down, this is what it's about. Now, some of you who have been Christians longer will remember this. But there's a story one time where Jesus was approached by a young attorney, and he said, of all the laws in the Old Testament, and there's 613 in the law of Moses, of, of all those laws, which is the most important? Like, if you don't want to tick God off, which will be the number one that you don't want to violate? And so Jesus said, well, there's actually two laws that are most important. The first law is to love God with all your heart. Uh, he's number one priority, going to please him, follow him, obey him, make him happy. That's number one. He said the second one is like it, and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, love other people in the same way, kind of same dogged determination we love ourselves. Have you ever noticed we don't even like ourselves, we still love ourselves, right? Have you ever had days, I don't even like myself today, but you're still looking out for number one, aren't you? Right? You're still like, there's no, no one comes higher than number one. And so he says, in that same way that you're like so committed to seeking your best interest in life, I want you to you take that same passion and seek that for other people. I want you to seek their, their best interests. Now, so here in the Sermon on the Mount, we come to the pinnacle. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? You break it all down. It looks like to love people. In fact, if you turn over to chapter 7 of Matthew, now this is uh, still in the Sermon on the Mount. He goes 5, 6, and 7. And so we're in chapter 7 and verse 12. We'll come across another famous verse. Today we're on the famous verse uh, series, I guess. 7.12. Uh, this has often been called the golden rule. He who has the gold rules. No, just kidding. Um, 7.12. Okay. So in everything, catch that, in everything, in every situation in your life, in everything, due to others, what you would have them do to you. Now, notice he does not say do to others as they do to you. He does not say do to others before they do to you. (laughs) He says do to others what you would have them do to you. 
Okay, so you're in this situation. You're in this situation in a classroom at school and college, and it's a really awkward situation. What would you want others to do to you? You do that same to them. You're in business. What would you want others, how would you want them to treat you in business? You're in education. You're in a you know, your marriage. You're raising kids. How would you want to be treated if you were in that situation? He says, just, just put yourself in that situation and then do what you would want others to do to you. Now, 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 look what he says. He says, verse uh, underneath, uh, next, next line, he says, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus says, okay, remember the, at the time he, he spoke this, they only had an Old Testament. Let's, let's call it the Bible, right? He says, take the whole Bible. We're going to sum it up right here, right now. You're going to treat other people like you would want them, you would like to be treated if you're in this situation. That's pretty much it. We're done. Class is over, right? That's it. Now, this becomes the ethic of the New Testament. This becomes the ethic of the Christian. This becomes the, the heartbeat, the heart throb. This becomes the load star. This becomes the north star. This becomes true north for the Christian, for your life and my life. What is true north? You pull out the compass and you say, where's true north? I'm in this situation at work. I'm in this business situation. I'm on the little league field. I'm playing basketball. I'm driving on the freeway. What is true north? What, where, look at my compass, what am I, how am I supposed to handle this situation? And Jesus says, very simple. True north is you do to others what you would like to be done in that situation. Okay? That's true north. And it becomes the standard for the whole New Testament. I want you to see this. Um, we're going to do just a little Bible study real quick, okay? So get your fingers going. We're moving to the right in our Bibles. We're going to go to the book, the book of Romans, chapter 13. Romans 13, we'll start at verse 8. Romans 8, I mean 13, verse 8. Uh, Let no debt remain outstanding. Pay your debts. Except the continuing debt to love one another. Now catch this, for he who loves his fellow man, has fulfilled the law. Right? The whole Testament, if you love your fellow man, you've fulfilled it. You're, you've done. Now, I give some examples just to make sure we don't understand. He starts quoting some of the Ten Commandments. He says the commandments, like do not rip off your neighbor's wife. Okay? Don't commit adultery. Uh, do not murder. Don't rip off their life. Uh, do not steal. Don't rip off their stuff. Uh, do not covet. Don't even want to rip off their stuff. Okay, just, now look at, and whatever other commandment, now underline that, whatever other commandment, you just pick one, throw it in there. He says, maybe summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, this is the ethic of the New Testament. Uh, verse 10, love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So Jesus says, okay, so what's your situation today? Where are you at? Uh, where are you at geographically? Where are you at uh, relationally? doesn't matter where you are. He says, I'll have to do a simple question. What would love do in this situation? Love is always right. It's always, it's our true north. Let's go one more. Keep going to the right in your Bibles. Go to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we'll look at uh, verse 14. <clears throat> Here he says it again. The entire law, Old Testament, entire law, is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Are you getting this? Are we, are we catching this? He's boiling it down. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What does it look like to live life the right way? In every situation, you ask one question, what would love do in this situation? Your home, right? Uh, there in your note sheet. I threw another verse in there in your note sheet. Uh, James 2, uh, eight. Now, this is from James, not the Apostle Paul. From James, he's the, the half-brother of Jesus. He's writing to a different congregation. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, royal law, the law of the king, right? The royal law. So what is the law of the king? Of all the, law, all the things Jesus taught, he said, of what would be the royal law? What would be, if you had only one law, the law of the king? 
He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, then you're doing the right thing. You're doing life the right way. Now, here's the challenge, though. Here's the challenge. It's not always easy to figure out what love would do, right? Uh, Like, if you've ever had kids, you understand this, right? Do you love your kids? Yes, I do. Does that so? Okay, so that means automatically I ground them for three months. Or does that mean I automatically ground them for two months? Or does that mean I send them to Utah? Or does that mean um, I just overlooked this one? They were under a lot of stress, right? If you've ever had a, been a parent, or if you've ever uh, been a grandparent, or if you've ever had kids, or if you've ever known a kid, um, you know this, that it's not always easy to figure out what love looks like, right? Because sometimes love's real tender, and sometimes love's really tough, And so part of our process of following Jesus is to grow in our discernment of what does love look like in this situation. In fact, I want you to look at one more verse before we go on. uh, Keep going to the right. Go to uh, Philippians chapter 1. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, it is. I've got mine clipped wrong. Okay, Philippians chapter 1. Paul's praying for this church at Philippi. Philippians 1 verse 9. This is really interesting. Here what he says. He says, and this is my prayer for you, one nine, that your love may abound more and more in what? In knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. So you can have two parents. They both love their children equally, but they're very different in terms of the discernment of what would love do in this situation right? Have you ever known parents, they love their kids to death, but everyone around them knows their kids are spoiled. There's not a lack of love for their children. There's a lack of discernment, right? And so, so part of our growing as a follower of Jesus is very simple, where to lo- love is always the right thing to do, but what does love look like in this situation? That's the growth process that we're on, okay? Now, number two, let's go on to the second principle. The second principle goes like this, <coughs> that revenge is kind of the flip side of the coin, right? So love's always right. Here's the flip side. Revenge is always wrong. Now, I realize some of you are really sad you came to church right now, but it's always wrong, and so our road is always the high road. Now, we're just breaking it down, getting really simple here. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Love people. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Don't get even. Revenge is always wrong. You say always? Always. Revenge is God's business. Revenge is God's territory. That's his job. He's the judge of all the earth. Revenge is not our territory. Revenge is his territory. You have a little kid sometimes? You come in, they're fighting. I punched him in the eye. Why'd you do that? Because he pulled my shirt. It's like, hey, next time he bugs you, bring it to me, right? Don't take matters in your own hands, right? And so God says the same to us as his children. Revenge is my issue. It's not your issue. Revenge is always wrong. I will deal with this, but let me deal with it my way, my time. Now, this is one of the hardest teachings of Jesus because can we just be honest here that we are all naturally wired for revenge? Uh, You don't have to teach a child to get revenge, do you? It's like... Don't be so nice to your brother. When he smacks you, let him have it. You're just not, no revenge within you. No, no. As kids, I mean, we just, hey, someone hurts us, our natural response hurt them. We are hardwired for revenge. It's part of the fall. And so if we're going to follow Jesus and we are going to learn to do life differently, this is really counterintuitive, very unnatural to respond out of not eye for an eye. Eye for an eye is the basic rule of human relationships. And Jesus says, no, no, it's the law of love is the rule of relationships. It's just like totally opposite of what we would normally do. It's not just for people out there. Think in your marriage. Think of the last time you had a conflict and your spouse took a low blow, did a low blow. They brought up something from your past that really hurt you. What do you say? It's just, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I forgot that. <laughs> it's just, God has blessed me with such a perceptive wife. You know, so many times I think I'm making progress and you're just there to remind me how far I have to go. Thank you. You're so discerning. No, no, she zings me. My natural response is what? Yeah, well, what about you? Boom, right? 
Right? We don't have to go very far in our life's experience. This is our natural, hardwired response. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So Jesus comes along and says, no, I've got new rules for you. I've got a new way to live. I want to free you from that cycle of vengeance. I want to see you, uh, free you from that cycle of violence. I, I want to teach you how to do life like I do life. I want to teach you how to, to receive the damage other people's do and not respond back, but to bear that and to transform that by bearing it like I, like I will do on the cross, you see? And so he says, so if someone hits you on the right cheek, you know, up your left, he goes through this whole thing. He says, four examples of what that looks like. He says, be willing to bear the evil of others in order to transform them and the relationship, you see? This is exactly what Jesus did, right? He bore our evil while we were his enemies. Christ died for us so that we be, could become friends, you see? So he's modeling this for us. Now, I, I don't know about you, but we are now entering territory in the Sermon on the Mount that's got to be one of the hardest things in life to do. There's no way we can do this on our own. We started the day with a story of Stephen, right? I want to go back to that story. We left him. We'd taken him outside. He'd gone through the city streets, a rag doll thing. He's, come, he's coming out. The, the crowd's uh, gathering, the mob. There. It's just the leaders are going crazy. They come outside the city walls, and they're, they're gathered there. Now, I want, I want to take you there for a moment, okay? Now, sometimes, a lot of you have been Christians for a while. You've heard this story. The danger of being a Christian a long time is we think we know what the Bible says, right? It's a huge danger. And sometimes we just need to see it in fresh eyes. So I want you to do something, if you would. I want you just to close your eyes. I want to paint the picture of that day, all right? I want you to pretend that you're a person there in the crowd, that you are not a Christian yet. You've heard a little about Jesus. You got the basic story down. You're not a Christian. I want to take you there. If you go there with me, close your eyes. Let's just go there together. So we're coming out the city gates, right? And so, so the mob is there. It's this huge crowd. And they take him out there. And right now, right here, right now, they're going to execute him. Right now, these leaders of Israel who are supposed to be giving a fair trial, they've just lost it. And they throw him in the middle, and they begin stripping off his clothes, and they begin gathering around in a circle, and they begin stoning him, the ancient method of execution. And I want you to see Stephen. He's there in the middle now. And the the stones are starting to fly, and the first few miss, but the second ones, now they're coming. They're starting to hit. They're starting to connect. And the stones are getting, the mob's getting into us, and so the stones are beginning to, to increase, and they're coming, and they're hitting him from all different directions. I want you to see him. He's covering his face. Can you see it there? He's covering his face with his hands. He's trying to protect his face. He's doubled over at his body. He's trying to protect his body, but the stones keep coming, and the blood now, it's starting to come. There's some on his forehead, it's starting to drip. You see some hair, it's starting to be matted with his blood. You're starting to see the stones are connecting, they're tearing into his skin, and through his clothing, now you can see the blood beginning to seep through, and you're wondering, you can't, you can't figure out how much longer you can take this. You're standing at the back of the crowd, and something's driving you, you can't explain it, so you start pushing your way through, enforcing your way. You just gotta get there. You get right there, you're at the front. He's there, you see him, he's going down, he's about to go down, He's going down on his knees. He can't take it. There's rocks from all directions. Are you there? He's right there. He's right there. You see the blood. He's about to die, and he's about to say something, and you feel like everything within you, you got to hear what he's going to say, and you're just ready. You're waiting for him to call down the judgment of God. You're ready to call down God's vengeance on these leaders who are supposed to be the religious leaders of Israel and giving a fair trial, And, and you're ready for him to, and out of his mouth comes the words, Father, this one's on me. Out of his mouth, he says, Jesus, Lord Jesus. He says, don't hold this one against them. This one is on me. And he dies. And you're watching him there, and he's laying in the the dirt. And his clothes are all bloody. And he's got blood coming down his forehead. And his arms and his legs are battered and they're bruised. And the stones keep coming and they're piling up all around him as the vengeance just comes, keeps coming. And you're just frozen in space and time. You can't believe his final words. They just ring through your head. Jesus, this one's on me. Don't hold it against them. And you're wondering, what kind of person? Why? Where would he come up with this? And all of a sudden, back into your mind comes the teaching of Jesus, the story you've heard about him, that when he was brutalized, when he was humiliated, when he was mocked, when he was beat, 
when his back was torn open with the whip and then he was just nailed on the cross. He was laying there on the ground and they're, they're driving the spikes through his hands. This is exactly what he said. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Okay, come on back with me. You see, the student has become like the teacher. Remember we started this series, we said the whole purpose of following Jesus is to become like Jesus. Remember what we said, what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 6 is that the student, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. Can you see what's happened now? The student, Stephen, has become like his teacher. He's done the impossible. He's loved his enemies. And you say, well, Mike, it's impossible. How could we ever really do that? Well, I don't think we can do it unless Jesus shows up. Earlier in that story of Stephen, Stephen's on, on the tribe's witness stand, and, and it's just before they rush him, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up, and, and Stephen looks up towards the top of the ceiling where he's being, he's being tried, and he, has a pic, and he has a vision of Jesus. And Jesus is standing up. He's at the right hand of God. He's standing up to receive Stephen, to welcome him. Jesus knows what's about to happen. And we're told that as he looks up, he sees, Stephen sees the glory of God. See, Jesus showed up in that moment to empower him to do what he could never do on his own. You see, if we're going to love our enemies... That's impossible. The only way that can happen is if Jesus shows up and equips us to do something we could never do on our own. And some of you understand this. Some of you, right now, there's a person in your mind that your whole life, or there's someone who hurt you, there's someone who wounded you. It may be an ex-spouse who's been brutal. It may be the boss from hell. It may be appearance. It could be someone who abused you when you're young. And your whole life you've tried to follow Jesus, but something's holding you back. And the reason why is because you've told Jesus, I will love everyone, but you put an asterisk by that person's name. It's just see footnote. Footnote, I will never forget this person. I will never forgive this person. And Jesus comes to us and says, as his followers, there can't be asterisks. Right? The year was 1940. The place was Holland in Europe. Her name was Corey. She'd grown up in a Christian home. She had a sister named Betsy. She and her folks were all Christ followers. They're serious about it. This whole following Jesus thing for them, they were definitely the, true, the real deal. In 1940, Hitler began taking over Europe. And the forces came into Holland, into her home country. And, of course, one of the things they do is that the Nazis began to round up Jews to kill them. These were friends. These were neighbors. These people she loved. And, and so she and her family decided to reach out and hide them at tremendous risk to their own life. They began to hide them in their home. It worked well for two years until... Another Dutch person turned them into the, uh, to the authorities that they were cooperating with the Dutch underground. And so they came. They arrested Corey. They arrested Betsy. They arrested their parents. Corey and Betsy were sent for the next two years to a series of concentration camps, one after another. They finally ended up at the notorious camp. It was in the north of Germany called Ravensbrück. The year was now 1944. They'd been in concentration camps a couple years. That year, while in Ravensbrück, her sister Betsy would die. In December of that year, 1944, Corey, through a clerical heir, was released from concentration camp. The next week, all the women of her age were killed. But she was released soon after the war ended. And though this was such a horrendous experience for her being in a concentration camp, how could you ever even begin to describe that? And yet God had met her there as a powerful way. And God began to use her story to inspire others. She began to speak at churches. 
One of the things Corey would often say is there is no pit, there is no pit except where the love of God is deeper still. She'd live that story. And so she went from church to church and shared how God had met her and people came from all over to hear her. She often shared about a God who loves us and doesn't matter what we've done or where we've come from, how he sent his son to die for us and we could be forgiven. And one particular day, it was three years later, it was in 1947 now, and she was speaking at a little church in, in Munich. And as she speaks, she gets done, and there's a long line of people who want to greet her, meet her afterwards. She's standing in line, and as she looks down the line, several, men, several people away, she sees him. He was a bald man, overweight man, what kind of a heavy man, big man. He had a gray overcoat on that day. He had a, a brown felt hat that was clutched in his hands. But as she saw him, it was as if time stopped. She was frozen in space, frozen in time, and her mind went off to another day, years before at Ravensbrück. And that day he wasn't wearing a gray overcoat. He was wearing the blue uniform of a Nazi guard. He had the, the visor on with a visored cap with a skull and the crossbones of Ravensbrück, and she's frozen in time. She's coming down the line, and all of a sudden, she's no longer in that church, and all of a sudden, it's not 1947. It's 1944, and it's her first day at Ravensbrück, and they're getting off the buses. They're off the trucks, and they're, mo- they're moving in. There's this long line of women going into where they're being processed. Their sister's in front of her. They're forced to strip naked, put their clothes, their dresses, and their, their, their shoes in the middle of a pile in the room. It was a huge pile of clothing, and stand this long line of hundreds of women as they're being processed are standing naked there in front of these guards. She can see her sister in front of her, her sister Betsy, who would later die that year, and her skin was so parched, you could almost see through it. Her ribs, she was so emaciated, you could see her ribs. And she's standing naked in front of her, and she's following her through that line, and the guards are leering, and there's the harsh lights, and it's freezing, and it's cold, and her sister would die there. And so that's 1947. For her, it's not. It's 1944, and she looks up, and she sees that man, that guard in his blue uniform. And now she's back in 47, and now that man's coming down the line. He's almost to her, and she's, she's deer in the headlights. She's stuck. When he gets there, he introduces himself. He thanks her for sharing that day. He shares it after the war that he'd given his life to Christ, that he'd become a Christian, and God had forgiven him for all the horrific things that he had done in that concentration camp. But he says, but I want to come to you and I want to ask you, will you forgive me? And he stretches out his hand. In that moment in time, she is just stuck. She is frozen. She feels like she cannot do this. There is no way, if you understood, this is is where her sister died. How could she ever love her enemy? How could she ever grant forgiveness to a man who had been part of that whole process? And there in that moment, she called out upon Jesus. She remembered the words of the Sermon on the Mount. What came back is love your enemies. What came back is pray for those who persecute you. What came back is do do good to those who hurt you. And she knew as a follower of Jesus that she couldn't deny his request. And yet she knew as a human being there was no way she could do this on her own. And so in in the quietness of her heart, she prayed quickly and she said, Jesus, I can stretch out my hand, but I cannot change my heart. And in that moment, she reached out her hand, and the way she describes it's like a bolt of electricity came flowing down her arm into those hands as they touched. And all of a sudden, it was like a wave of emotion came over her. It was a wave of warmth, a wave of forgiveness, a wave of healing, a wave of release like she'd never experienced in her whole life. And with tears streaming down her cheeks, she looked in his eyes and says, Brother, I do forgive you with all my heart. And they stood there hand in hand, the former guard and the former prisoner. See, Jesus showed up. Now, can I tell you something? We cannot do this on our own. Jesus is not asking you to do it on your own. But it does require a surrender of our wills that I will refuse to get even, I will seek to do good, right? Who is that person in your life today 
that is so difficult. Maybe from your past, maybe it's from your present. And if you're honest about it, you'd say, you've been treating them eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you're honest, you'd be saying that I've been treating them like the pagans. I've been loving, my, I've been loving those who love me, but my enemies I have hated. And Jesus said, I've come to free you from that. I've come to teach you and raise you to a whole new level of life. I've come to give you a freedom that you will love even your enemies and you will turn their hatred into something new by bearing it like I bore on the cross. See, this is his calling on our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we come today to a very, very difficult passage. Lord, it makes great plaques. It makes a hard life. To love our enemies, God, we cannot do that. We've talked so much in this series about how you have to change us from the inside out. We just come as your people, God. And all over this auditorium right now, I know there's for many people, they have an asterisk person in their mind, someone in their mind that they just honestly hate. And God, we cannot get past this without your help. And so we surrender today as a church to you and your leadership in our life. We ask you to come, Lord, like Corey, we will reach out our hand, but we need you to change our heart. And so, Lord, we will come. We pray that you'd come to teach us to live life at a higher level, that we'd become like our Father in heaven who sends his reign upon the just and the unjust and his sunshine upon the good and the evil. We pray this in your name. Amen. That day, as Stephen was laying there in the dust with stones all around him, the blood coming through his clothing, it was the start of something new in the church at Jerusalem. It was that day that amazing, mighty persecution broke out against the whole church that forced them to leave Jerusalem and take the message of Jesus wherever they went. It was that death that God used to unleash the message of Jesus to the rest of the world. And there was a young man who was there that day, a young rabbi, who was actually holding the clothes of everyone else who was stoning Stephen. He would later be known as the Apostle Paul. He was maddest of all that day. He had the most hatred in his heart. It was he who would be the, become the lead persecutor of the ancient church until Jesus knocked him off his horse one day. I don't think he could ever get out of his mind. Those words he couldn't believe that day. As Stephen was falling to the ground and said, this one's on me. See, when the church of Jesus bears the sins of others and loves them anyway, the church of Jesus always marches on powerfully. And when the church of Jesus acts like the pagans, it returns evil for evil, the world looks on and says, so what do we need him for? May this be a week where in a new way we enlist to follow Jesus. It won't be easy. It will not be without cost. But may this be a week that we make a decision that come hell or high water, we're going to follow. And we're going to bear the sins of others so we can transform them and turn them from enemies of God to friends, just like he did with us. God bless you. Have a great week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.